All right, Luke chapter 16, and let's stand together if you're able to stand for the reading of the Word of God. And we're going to read what I, for me personally, and it may not be that way for you, but for me personally, I believe one of the most sobering passages of Scripture in the Bible. Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, wealthy, well-dressed, and fared sumptuously every day, which means he just enjoyed a luxurious lifestyle, this rich man did. Verse 20, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Such a contrast, wealth on one side, poverty-stricken, you know, a man who was physically infirmed, hungry. And then it says in verse 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. You know, there are people who believe false religions, false doctrines that teach that when a person uh, dies, they're, they're, they sort of experience soul sleep, they call it, that you're just still in a state where you're not alive, but you're still in that in the tomb until a future date, but that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that the rich man died, the beggar, first of all, the beggar died and he went to heaven. The rich man died and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, this is the rich man, speaking. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that poor beggar, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, there between us and you, beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, a separation. So they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, now, the word pray means beg, I entreat you. Now, the rich man is the beggar. He said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would ascend him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, 
let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God today. And Father, there are places in the Bible that we read that cause us great rejoicing. And there are places in the Bible that we read that causes us to be sober-minded and serious in our thinking. This is one of those places. And Father, I pray today as we consider this passage that you would help us take the Bible for what it says. Lord, act in a way that would be pleasing to you. Respond according to your will. And I pray that you'd work in all of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, I was thinking about this message and thinking that the further we get down the road in our society from a biblical worldview, the further we get into this post-Christian society that we live in, and surely you recognize that it's not the influence of Christianity is not like it was at one time. The further we get down this road, the more people doubt the Bible. And this is one example of places that people doubt the Bible. Like this couldn't really be true. I mean, surely this is not true. But Jesus made it clear that it is true. And so we want to think about a couple of things here today in this text. But the first one is just simply as we look at these two men, and that is the reality of death. Because both of the characters in our text died. And whether we like to think about it or not, every last one of us are going to pass from this life. And uh, I was, uh, when I read this passage, often I think about a friend of ours who's been in heaven for a lot of years, uh, Brother Hyman Appleman, who was an evangelist. He was a, he was a Russian Jew who was converted to Christ. He was, he was actually born in 1902 in Russia and came to this country. His family came to this country, I believe, when he was 14. And when he was about 23, he was converted to Christ. He was a lawyer by then, he, and he got saved. He was converted to Christ. He heard the gospel, and he, he was an evangelist his entire life. But I've heard him say this more than once. He would say, you're going to die. And then he would say... Um, people think that preachers enjoy preaching about death and dying. And then he said, I'll make you, I can hear him in that strong Russian accent. I'll make you a proposition. You promise me you'll never die. And I'll quit preaching about death and dying. The reality is all of us are going to die. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, And it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Every one of us have an appointment. And we're going to die. I, I love life. I enjoy this life. But all of us are going to die. And after that's the judgment. Every one of us will die. And every one of us will face God in judgment. Those that are saved will face God at the uh, judgment seat of Christ. We'll be judged and rewarded for our works. Those who are lost will be at a different judgment. The Bible calls it a great white throne judgment. These are serious things to think about. People may not think about, want to think about dying, but we're all going to die. By the way, it's not just old people that die. 
Many people die in their youth. A lot of people die suddenly, unexpectedly. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying if there's one thing in life we ought to be prepared for, it's leaving this life. And so we see from this that the reality of death. Proverbs 30 says there are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not it is enough. And one of those things is the grave. The grave is never satisfied. The grave never says it's enough. It always wants more. And in this text, we see that death is a reality, but we also see that there is an existence after our human body dies, which is clearly laid out in this, and not just this place, many places in the Scripture. Verse 22 again, it says, The beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Heaven is real. The beggar died and he went then to paradise, now though to the place that we know as heaven. I was, I was enjoying the song um, that was sung just a moment ago about when we see his face. That's a part of heaven. We're going to see the Lord. We're going to go from, from this life, from this place. You know, people think this, this is heaven. I'm telling you, this is not heaven. And by the way, some people think this life is hell, but this is not hell either. I mean, heaven is going to be such a wonderful place. And we go immediately to that place. Jesus said to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in also me, in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. There is a place that he is preparing for us. And you say, when do we go? The moment we cease to live in this life, we go to be with the Lord. The Apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When Jesus was talking to the man, the uh, thief that was on the cross near Jesus, and this, this thief obviously repented, looked to Jesus, put his faith in Jesus. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this is what Jesus said to him. This day, you'll be with me in paradise. Not after a while, not next week, not ten years from now. This very day, you'll be with me in paradise. So when the beggar died, he went to be with the Lord. But look in verse 22 again. It says, The rich man also died and was buried. They put his body in some form of a burial plot. Verse 23, And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments. So the rich man died and he went to hell. What a contrast. You know, there's a great contrast in these two men. One was wealthy, well-to-do, dressed luxuriously, had everything this life could offer. One was a poor man, a beggar, infirmed physically, couldn't help his condition. What a contrast. But here we see even a greater contrast. And that is when they die. One of them went to heaven. One of them went to be with the Lord. One went to a place where there is no pain, no sickness, no sorrow. One went to a place where torment and sorrow is all he'll ever know. So we see this great contrast between these two men. Jesus taught this clearly. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. 
Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, I realize that there are a lot of different things that we could put together as equations or differences in people's lives, where we live, what kind of family life we come from. But in this, in this scenario with the rich man and Lazarus, and this scenario that Jesus taught about in Matthew 7, there's only two kinds of people. Those that are saved and those that are lost. And Jesus said this, the way to destruction is a broad way. That means it's, it's a very lenient way. A lot of, and by the way, he says, many there be that find it. Most people are on the broad way. Where does that broad way go? The, Jesus said it goes to destruction. And he wasn't talking about financial ruin. He wasn't talking about being friendless. He was talking about eternal destruction. And most people in life, that's not my words, it's the words of Jesus. Most people in life are on the broad way that goes to destruction. But he says there's another way, and it's a straight way and a narrow way. And by the way, it is a narrow way, but that narrow way goes to life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life, eternal life. But few there be that find it. Isn't that what Jesus said? Few there be that find it. If you were to say, or if I were to say, the majority of people are on the wrong path, we would not be giving our opinion. We'd be saying what Jesus says. Or if we were to say, the minority of people, fewer people are on the, the narrow straight way, on their way to heaven, but there are few that's not just our opinion, that's what Jesus said. So in Jesus', in Jesus analysis, in His summary, there are two paths. One of those paths is on the way to destruction, and one of them is on the way to life. It would be good for us today to ask ourselves, I wonder which path I'm on. Jesus said there's only two paths. And those two paths lead to only two destinations. One destination is destruction. One destination is, is life. And Jesus, again, I said this already, but said that many are going to destruction. That's a sad thing to think about, isn't it? It should sadden us to think about the number of people. Sometimes, you know, if you ask people about their, their salvation, their religious affiliation, you ask them, do you know the Lord? Most people like to think they're on the right path. They like to think that, and, I, and we want them to be on the right path. But just because we think we are doesn't necessarily mean we are, and so all of this teaches about the reality of death and life after death. So let's think about this. All of us are going to live somewhere forever. Forever is a long time. You know, you may be look at me and say, man, you've been around a long time. And you're right. <laughs> but 69 years may seem like a long time. But compared to forever... It's a drop in the bucket. Forever is a long time. And we're going to live somewhere forever. And you say, well, once, once the people believe this, once I die, then somehow I'll be able to make arrangements or people on this side will be able to pray me through. That's never taught in the Bible. When Jesus looked at these two people who had arrived at their eternal destination, He said there's a great gulf fixed. Nothing can change. Nothing can alter once we leave this life. So there is something in life that's more important, so important that everything else in life fades away when you think about it, and that is what path am I on? 
And where am I going to end up? Now I want us to look at this subject today, this subject of hell, that, as I said in the beginning, it's, it's a very sobering subject to me. It's a very serious subject. But ignoring it doesn't make it go away. We, we ought to look at what Jesus said about it. We, there's, there are benefits, no matter which path you're on, there are benefits to knowing about the reality of hell. And as I said earlier, many people deny the existence of hell, but Jesus was not one of them. Jesus taught much about this subject. We're going to come back to Luke chapter 16. I'd like for you to mark that if you would in your Bible. But, but then take, take your Bible and go to the Gospel of Matthew. Go to the left, past the Gospel of Mark, and go to the Gospel of Matthew. And I just want to point out just a few examples of what Jesus said about hell. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Just a moment, let us get our pages synced here. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Jesus said, in verse 28, And fear not them which shall kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body, in hell. That's what Jesus said. I go a little bit to the right, if you would, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 41. I love the sound of pages turning in the Bibles. Verse 41, the Son of Man shall send forth His angels and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Pretty strong language, isn't it? Go to the right a little further, if you would, to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33. Jesus is speaking here to some religious people, the Pharisees. Matthew 23, 33, You serpents, you generation of vipers, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? It looks to me like Jesus is a believer, right? In this place called hell. Go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. In verse 46 of that same chapter, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now I just take the time to look up those verses because a person who... May, may not know. They may not really think that Jesus said much about this subject. Jesus says a lot about it. Matter of fact, Jesus says more about the subject of hell than he does about the subject of heaven. And so people may not believe it exists, but Jesus taught that it exists. And he not only taught that it exists, he taught various characteristics about what it was like there. He believed in a literal hell. We're going to go back to Luke in a moment, but... Let's go to the last book of the Bible first. Revelation chapter 20. 
Just a couple of verses. Revelation chapter 20. This is fast forwarding in time to what is taking place, going to take place in the future. And we'll just read a couple of verses. Matthew, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. Here's, here's a couple of people that are going to be in hell. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented. Same word that's used to describe in Luke chapter 16. The devil's there, the beast's there, the false prophet are there, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Does your Bible say forever and ever? I mean, that's what the Bible says. Go down, if you would, to the last verse of that chapter. And the Bible says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, the de- hell was made for the devil and his angels. But people who reject salvation, people who reject Jesus Christ, their name will not be in the book of life. The book of life for those who have been saved, those who have been born again, those who put their faith in Christ. And it says in our Bible that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So Jesus declares plainly that there is a place called hell, and He wants us to know about it. He wants us to understand some things about this place. Let's go back to Luke 16, and I'm not going to go through every verse here, but I just want to point out a few things that Jesus made clear about this place called hell. Luke chapter 16, first of all, it's a place of torment. In verse 23 it says, In hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. In verse 24, the last part of verse 24, he said, For I am tormented in this flame. The last part of verse 25, he says, Thou, Abraham said, Thou art tormented. In the last part of verse 28, this man from hell says, Testify to my brothers, lest they also come into this place of torment. You know, this may have never happened to you, and you may think it never does happen, but it's happened to me. Where I'll be talking to someone about the gospel and sharing with them about heaven and hell and what Jesus said, and they'll, and they'll scoff and mock and say, well, I'll, I don't mind going there. All my friends will be there. We'll have a party there. You, you know, that may sound cute, but that's not what the Bible teaches. It's a place of great torment. It's a place of pain and agony and thirst. We read in verse 26, there's a great gulf fixed. It's a place of separation. It's also a place of memory. Verse 25, Abraham said to this man, Son, remember that thou art in thy... So he's got a memory in... Imagine having a memory in hell. And remembering the times you heard the gospel. Remembering the opportunities you had to be saved. Remembering people that lived the Christian life before you. Not just thinking about it once. You've got forever... To remember, so this man has his faculties. He's he's in mental anguish. He's he's a, a place of consciousness, and and it's a place of unending fire. According, look in verse twenty four. He says, "I am tormented in this flame." Mark nine says, "The fire shall not be quenched." Matthew twenty five calls it everlasting fire. Revelation 20 calls it a lake of fire. 
And Jesus twice in one chapter called it a furnace of fire. So that's what hell looks like. That's what hell is like. That's what hell was like for this person that was there. I think we ought to think about it every once in a while. Can I say to you today, and maybe I'm wrong in what I'm about to say, but I don't think I'm far off. We who believe in the existence of hell sometimes practically live like it doesn't really matter that much. Like people aren't really going to go there. Like our neighbors will never be there. Our family members will never be there. People in remote countries of the world that, don't, that aren't exposed to the gospel like we are, they, they shouldn't be concerned about that. I'm just saying today, it is real. We ought to be concerned about it. But not just for our own personal reasons, but because everybody who doesn't receive the gospel, everybody who doesn't get saved, come to Christ, that's where they're going to go. So how should this reality affect us? Number one... It should motivate the unsaved to come to Christ. You know, I'm not going to turn to it, but Revelation 21, it lists characteristics of people that are going to have their part in the lake of fire. And he he mentions things like murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. He mentions all these kind of people. But I want to mention two people that are in that list. He said every unbeliever... That means everyone who does not receive Christ. Everyone who does not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he also said all liars have their place. All liars have their place in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Now, in my personal opinion, I think all of us are liars. Don't be offended. But I believe we all are. And the only difference between us and those who are there are we've repented and asked God to forgive us of our sins. We've put our faith in Jesus Christ. He's forgiven us of our sin. But all liars. So when you say all unbelievers and all liars, that takes in everybody else. Are going to have their place in the lake of fire. Every believer, all the unsaved, will be there. And you know what? That ought to concern us. And this, this, rich, this rich man in verse 28, I hope you have your Bible still open there. This rich man in verse 28 says, I have five brethren that he may testify unto them lest they come into this place of torment. He didn't want to see his brothers come there. You know why? Because he knew what he was in. By the way, God doesn't want you to go to hell either. You may, there may be a person here today. You've never been saved. You don't know how sure you're going to heaven. You don't, you don't know that you've been born again. And I'm not just trying to say this to scare you or anything. I'm just trying to tell you this. You don't want to go to hell. Hell is a real place. You don't have to be a murderer or a whoremonger or idolater to go to hell. All you have to do is be a sinner that's never been saved. And that's exactly where the Bible says you're going to go. But God doesn't want you to go there. I mean, Peter wrote this in his second epistle, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God doesn't want people... You say, well, why would God allow people to go to hell? And the answer to that is, people go to hell because they've rejected Him and because they're sinners. But the other part of that equation is, God loved us so much that He sent His only Son 
to this earth to take our sins upon Him. Jesus, who knew no sin, took my sins, my lies, my lust, my pride, my guilt. He, he paid the price for my sin that I wouldn't have to go to hell. And if you're here today, He paid the price for your sin as well. But that doesn't, it's not a given that you're going to go to heaven. You've got to put your faith in Christ. You've got to repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ. So it ought to be a motivation to unsaved people to come to the Lord. Notice what it says in verse 30. This rich man said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. I find it interesting that this lost man in hell believed in repentance. A lot of people, you know, in our generation, oh, you know, repentance is not required, repentance is not necessary. He believed it was necessary. And the Bible teaches that it is, of course. And what is repentance? It means we're turning from our sin and turning to Christ. It's not complicated. It just means we have a, we've, we have a change of mind. We don't, we're, we don't want to keep going this way. We want to go a different way. I want a different, I want a different perspective. I want to get off this broad way that most of my friends and most of my family and most of the world is on. And I want to get on this straight and narrow path that will lead me to eternal life. And that repentance is not complicated. It's a simple turning from sin to Christ. And when a person does that with faith in Christ, the moment they do that, they're accepted into God's family. They're born again. They're washed in the blood of the Lamb. So it ought to motivate the unsaved to come to Christ. The second thing it should do is it ought to motivate the saved. And I want to give you two ways that I think that should be considered. First of all, knowing the reality of hell ought to motivate us to be eternally grateful that we're saved by the grace of God. None of us deserve to go to heaven. We only go to heaven because Jesus paid the price for us and the grace of God was made known to us. I was reading this morning in Revelation 5, and I'm not going to turn to that, but a part of what's recorded there is the singing of the saints of God. And it says there, the saints in heaven are going to sing a new song. And this is a part of the song. Thou, talking to Jesus, we're going to sing to Him. Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now, I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven. I don't know what all we're going to be aware of. But I think, somehow I think the fact that I'm just there is going to make me want to rejoice and praise God. Because He redeemed us by His own blood. There's no, don't, don't ever be misled in this way. No, no religion can offer you forgiveness of sin. No, no church can offer you forgiveness of sin. The baptismal waters cannot wash away your sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so it ought to motivate us to thank God that we're redeemed. In Revelation 22, it says this, And there shall come no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face. His servants shall serve Him, 
and they shall see His face. None of us have seen the face of Jesus, but we will see it one day. The one who died for us, the one who shed His blood for us. And so, if you're saved today, you ought to be glad you're saved and, and, and rejoice that you'll never spend an instant in the place the Bible calls hell. Aren't you glad for that? So we ought to be motivated to be eternally grateful, but second of all, we ought to be motivated, please hear me, to do everything we can to spread the good news, the gospel, that people don't have to go to hell. Now you can just take this literally, you can take it as an illustration, you can take it as an example, but everyone who has not been born again is on their way to hell. They don't have to change directions to go to hell. We are sinners by nature. They're already on their way to hell. Notice what, again, what the rich man said from hell in verse 28. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. If, they, if you could just send someone to tell my brothers, I don't want them to come to this place. By the way, everyone deserves an opportunity for someone to testify unto them about what Jesus has done for us. You know, if you were driving home today from this service in a little while, and you saw a house that was engulfed in fire. You're driving home. You see a house that's become an inferno. Wouldn't you be inclined to do something to try to rescue people that are inside that house? Most of us would. Well, everybody in life that hasn't been born again is headed for an eternal inferno. I'm just saying we ought to do what we can to reach them. I need to do what I should do. I was reminded as I was preparing for this message of one time many years ago, I was in Texas where we're from, and I was witnessing to a, a lost family member and just trying to impress upon this person the need for the gospel and they had some profane things to say we were like almost face to face chin to chin I was, and I was weeping sobbing and I said these words to that person I don't want to see you go to hell you know listen folks we should never become accustomed to thinking that people are on their way to hell and it doesn't bother us. It doesn't affect us. It doesn't motivate us. There, you know, we get stirred up about certain things sometimes, but this ought to keep us really focused on why we're here. Why are we here? You know, and I want to, I want to tie this in to our missions conference. You know, why do we emphasize missions so much? 
Why do we challenge people to pray about something you could give to go toward missionary work around the world? It's not just because we want to pat ourselves on the back and say we've got this benevolent spirit about us, we're compassionate. No, it's not about that. It's because people around the world are going to hell. Real people. People just like you. People just like me. In this country, people are on their way to hell. People, everybody that's not saved. Because hell is real. This ought to motivate us. I mean, we, if we were to look at things that we sometimes use as an excuse, well, I don't have, I can't do anything, I can't go on outreach because i got soccer, I can't go, I can't do this because I've got that. You know what I'm saying? None of those things matter as much as people's eternal destiny. And if, it, and if we can't connect with this, if we can't connect, there's something wrong in the way we're thinking. We get so caught up in the world, so much like the world. And you, you could say, and I could say, well, preacher, don't you know we can't reach them all? Absolutely, but we can reach some of them. And we ought to do what we can through praying for missionaries, supporting missionaries, because hell is real. So let me ask you this as we close. Don't answer by any other way but in your own heart. Do you believe that hell really exists? And it it really exists whether you believe it or not. But do you really believe it does? And if you're not saved, that in itself should stir you to say, I am going to make sure that I'm saved, that I'm going to heaven. You know, I didn't get saved when I was a young person, a child going to church with my mother, but I'll tell you, I heard some gospel, and I can remember this. I can remember standing behind a pew, being just tore up inside, because I knew if I didn't get saved, I was going to go to hell. And I didn't know that because I'm a smart person. I knew that because the preacher told me and showed me in the Bible. If you're, not, if you're not saved today, today would be a great day to get saved. And this church can't save you, but Jesus stands ready to save you. We, in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to be standing right here at the floor. And if you're here today and you say, I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. But I'm, I'm ready to get serious about this. Come talk to us. We'll, we'll talk with you, pray with you, share some scriptures, get you involved in a Bible study. Because you need to figure out in your own heart. Where do I really stand spiritually? You ought to come today. And if you're here today and you said, yes, I I really believe that hell is real. Not only do we say to people here today, you don't want to go to hell. We don't want people to go to hell. And we can't save anybody. But we can testify to them. We can warn them. We can tell them the truth. They may not always like it, but we can tell them the truth.